Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. John Leahy with you. Delighted to have you along this week. And I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. We were talking a bit about Mike Doc Emmerich and the documentary that was done on Doc, a great hockey broadcaster, certainly a, a Hall of Famer, and it was my uh, distinct pleasure to have the opportunity to chat about him last week. But if you've been tuning into the podcast, you've uh, noticed that we've been doing a lot of talk about baseball. And we're going to continue that uh, theme today, and we're going to talk about amateur baseball which is a very, very important uh, element, a very important uh, piece to the baseball puzzle. And what better person to talk about it than our good friend, the president of the Yockey League, uh, Dave McKay. Dave is a gentleman I've known for a long, long time. He bleeds baseball. He bleeds the Red Sox. And uh, Dave, wonderful to have you with us today. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk about some Yockey League baseball. It's an honor to be back with you, uh talking about amateur baseball and talking about sports in general because they are the fundamental cog of uh, personality development in my mind um, as an educator and as a public servant, somebody who worked in the public sector for so many years, I found that the foundation of every young man and young women's life is their physicality and their involvement in sports because, uh, you know, you're involved in sports, you stay out of court, and uh, you stay fit, and you're also keeping your mind active. And we try to do those types of things, provide those opportunities to our young men in the Hockey Baseball League. Great stuff, Dave. And uh, before we get into the history of the league, I, I think I should mention that you and I really first crossed paths in a broadcasting type of environment. Uh, we've done a lot of games together uh, covering Yaki League baseball back in the day on uh, cable television, and uh, that really spawned uh, an interest for you. You went off and uh, did your own show. Uh, you, you were a celebrity like Johnny Carson around here. <laughs> I, I, you know, Man Menino, who I worked for from the first to his last day in office, said in a meeting, this guy's on TV more than I am because <laughs> we, we monopolize the Boston Comcast local uh, origination unit uh, for quite so many years. And you were the voice of our Yaki League telecast, and I was happy to be your partner in crime during those enterprise, those years. And, uh, uh, yeah, having my own show, the Boston Baseball had something that I use uh, still to this day. Um, in a, not in an egotistical way, but uh, it is a basic fabric of my life. Baseball right now is uh, kind of like on the shelf for me because um, I can't get down to Florida and to go to my college games and go to the Red Sox and tour around the Grapefruit League in Florida because of the leg injury that I sustained five years ago. But I'll get down there again. But the Hockey League is uh, planning and working uh, to get ready for uh, 2021, and hopefully this year we're going to be able to have a full season. So, yeah, baseball is a part of my life, there's no doubt. And I, I love the uh, the opportunity to learn from you. You are a total pro in your field, and uh, I'm sincerely hopeful that, uh, um, that Lowell gets back in some way, shape, or form in uh, the uh, minor league uh, level, or that you find something 
that will suit you during the uh, summer months. Well, I appreciate that, Dave, and uh, you're right. Baseball is undergoing a lot of changes, and some not for the better, but uh, we can only hope. But let's start with uh, some of the history of the league, Dave. You guys uh, were founded in 1990, and uh, your mission is to continue the Yawkey tradition in Boston. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about the relationship between your league, the Red Sox, and uh, Mr. Yawkey, and, and Mrs. Yawkey as well. The dream of uh, creating Yawkey baseball uh, came out of a board meeting when we were discussing the future of our league. If if you remember, the Yorkie Baseball League was called the Junior Park League. And the Junior Park League meant that we were subservient to the Boston quote-unquote Senior Park League. We used to give our champion to the Park League every year, and um, we'd take their losing team. We stopped that in 1990 to a certain extent, um, and we wanted to become independent of that aspect and become our own enterprise. And we figured that it would be nice to honor the memory of Tom Yarkey, who had passed at that time in 1990. Um, of course, he was gone for a while. And we approached Mrs. Yarkey at the Yarkey Trust headquarters out in Dedham and asked her, if it would be something that she would be interested in, uh, in having. And she fell all over it. She thought it was wonderful. And uh, to her dying day, loved the idea that Yankee baseball uh, existed in Boston to continue Tom's legacy. And her legacy now that uh, she, she has passed, the Yankee Trust and the Yankee Foundation has perpetuated the memory of these two wonderful people uh, recently, the name has been tarnished by bringing back some uh, negativity about the era that Tom owned the Red Sox and was a part of Major League Baseball's ban um, uh, to, to keep African-American players from baseball. And, and to be quite honest with you, I'm too young to remember all of that, but I'm a historian, and I know that if today... Tom was alive, he would never have allowed that because he wasn't that type of person. And I know Mrs. Yaki surrounded herself with people of color and people of all different nationalities. And you drive through the cities and streets of Boston and the surrounding areas, and you will see the name Yaki on buildings in Roxbury, in Lower Roxbury, in the South End, uh, Dorchester, and uh, Lynn, and Lawrence, and Every inner city, uh, there are clinics and, and programs that are supported by the Yaki Trust, so their legacy lives. Yeah, and that leads me to my next point. Uh, the league really does stand for inclusion, and it's comprised of players from uh, all baseball backgrounds, isn't it? That is correct. This past year, we added the team called the Dorchester Black Barons, and that is a legacy team celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, uh, the, the uh, Barons-based uh, uh, team um, uh, led by um, Aaron Barnes and uh, his group uh, are just going to be entered into the league and they're hopefully going to be playing their home games up at Ronan Park if they could construct the lights. They took all the lights down at Ronan because they were falling down. They put those lights up, the light standards up. Anybody is uh, interested in knowing the light standards in Boston 
were put up when Kevin White was mayor, and that was a century ago. <laughs> but uh, that's another story for another day. But the Barons are a new team. And then the year before, we entered what was called, or what is called, the base, led by the Lewis family, uh, Robert Lewis and their son, Stephen. And both of those teams are minority-based groups. They are all inclusive. They have white and black and Latino players playing together. And in fact, the Barons are going to have a lady playing on the team, which is kind of interesting and exciting. So what we've, we've kind of uh, gone into a transition, the hockey league. Um, we were once a 13-team uh, league, and now we're down to nine. Uh, we have lost the Charlestown team because their uh, founder and uh, team owner, uh, Devin Santilli, got a new job, and uh, obviously, because of his job and uh, all of his responsibilities, haven't been able to find somebody to replace him. So they're going to take some time off. Hopefully they'll be back in the future. Well, Dave, you've got a 31-game schedule uh, from May to August. The games are seven innings long. And what I love about it is it really provides a free entertainment option for the communities of Boston. It's free to attend. Uh, this is under normal cir- uh, circumstances. Of course, COVID kind of changed the world we live in. But under normal circumstances, and hopefully we'll get back to that soon, uh, it provides some free entertainment for the communities of Boston. And, uh, you know, people are looking for fun things to do, and you don't have to pay a penny to get in there. And, and it's it's a great uh, experience. Well, it is. And uh, we, we uh, had our bases years ago uh, when the old Boston Park League used to have ten to 15,000 people at a regular season weekday uh, event uh, at Town Field. They used to uh, line that field off with ropes so that you could bring your lawn chair, come down uh, by MBTA, come up from Fields Connor Station. Uh, we, we used to have crowds, but unfortunately, with the advent of the Internet, uh, obviously cable television and the interest in seeing events in person on a professional level, um, you know, the crowds aren't there. But for the people that are interested in amateur baseball, you bet your life, it's a free way to enjoy good competition, great sportsmanship, and a lot of fun. You know, Dave, I used to love going over to Ronan Park to watch and do games because you look off in the distance, you see UMass Boston there across the water. That's my alma mater, so that brought back some nice memories. That that vista at Ronan Park is spectacular. It's a million-dollar picture. You turn your back on the neighborhood, the uh, three-decker houses that line Mount Vernon, I'm sorry, uh, Mount Ida Road, and you look off into the distance, you see Logan Airport, and you can see Dorchester Bay, and of course, your alma mater, uh, where the Beacons play, um, a great sports enterprise, UMass Boston. They've really built themselves an incredible sports program over at uh, UMass Boston. Absolutely. And, you know, Dave, uh... We talked about, uh, you know, your relationship with the Red Sox a little bit, but one of the great things is that uh, you've had plenty of all-star games over at Fenway Park, and how much of a thrill is that for you and the players to be able to experience that uh, that great uh, ballpark? Through my uh, contacts with Mrs. Jockey and the great Bill Gutfarb, 
I was able to obtain an opportunity for the Yawkey League and the Boston Park League to play all-star games at Fenway Park. Uh, the, York, uh, the Park League had their own contacts within the Yawkey uh, and uh, the Red Sox group as well. But uh, both of our leagues played all-star games at Fenway Park for um, quite some time, from actually 1991 until 2004. Every year, we played an all-star game at Fenway Park. And I was able to manage five of those games and actually had another opportunity, was invited by Mr. Gutfarb to manage an amateur team, the McKay Club, against the Colorado Silver Bullets, which was the women's professional baseball team led by Phil Negro. Uh, and uh, uh, we played at Fenway Park before a Red Sox game. There were 30,000 people in the stands, and boy, what a what an incredible crush of uh, excitement that was for myself and the 25 guys that I brought uh, to Fenway that day. And for every one of the kids that played at Fenway Park, when they were kids, some of them are in their late 40s, early 50s now, those years that they played at Fenway were memories that they'll never, ever forget. And Dave, there's a franchise in your league called the McKay Club Beacon. So uh, I'd love to hear the story of, of how that uh, team came about and how it was named. My mother and father were very closely involved in St. Mark Parish in Dorchester, helping to develop, to develop youth programs and activities for kids. My father worked 16 hours a day and uh, let my mother get involved in community activism as a Cub Scout master and also as an activist in what became the Millstream Athletic Association. Uh, my mother was uh, a go-getter. She was, she was somebody who inspired people. Um, and uh, they passed very young. My mother died at the age of 50, my father at the age of 61. And my family decided that we wanted to perpetuate their memory through sports, and we named an award after them, the McKay Memorial Award, which has our championship award given to our champion every single year. And uh, we we ended the Millstream program because of attrition. People just weren't interested in amateur baseball in that area any longer. The, the numbers uh, dwindled. We had a great program there. I could go into hours talking about the old Millstream, but... Uh, we wanted to rename the team, so we named the team in honor of my parents, Grace and Phil McKay. Oh, that's a great story, and uh, you know that's the, one of the great franchises in the league. You've got franchises from all over the the, the Boston community, uh, East Boston. You've had a franchise in Charlestown. Uh, you've gone north to Stoneham. You've got a couple of teams in Brighton: the Black Sox, the Braves, of course, your McKay club. Al Thomas, uh, they're based out of Milton. And uh, you also had a franchise in Somerville for a while. They were extremely successful. They won multiple championships. Uh, what, what really happened with Somerville there, and why are they no longer a franchise? Their, their group disjointed with the hockey league. Um, there was an inner um, bit of turmoil with the franchise holder, Dave Tresca, and the guys that were involved in the league. Um, they didn't want Yawkey baseball any longer because we played a lot of weekend games 
Um, a lot of the fellas that were involved with that team lived on the North Shore, so they applied and were accepted for membership in the Intercity League. And we'll leave it at that. They, they, they left on good terms, all wonderful people. Uh, uh, what a great franchise. Uh, what a great group of people that brought a lot of thrills and chills to our uh, Comcast viewers over the years. <laughs> and, uh, it, you bet your life. There was some great games that you and I both called uh, the play-by-play and color on those games. And uh, a great franchise, and we missed them. But they, they made their choice. And uh, as, as, as time goes by and as life is, People change and things change, and that's what we're doing right now in the Yorkie League. We are building a new image, uh, an inner city-based organization based in Boston, based in the inner cities of our area, and uh, I think we're doing pretty well with that. Um, We miss Somerville. We miss teams and players who go off to play in other leagues and other areas, but uh, that's their choice. but I think of any of the leagues that are in existence, the Yorkie League is one of the most organized and most fair of any that are in existence. We have some great board members. Joe O'Hara is a mainstay, a businessman. He gets everything done for us in the financial area, making sure all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted uh, with our financials. You know, now it's become quite a business running an amateur baseball uh, program. You've got to go to the IRS and make sure that all the things are done properly. And those are things that are out of my purview. And if it wasn't for guys like Joe O'Hara, you would never get any of that done. Dave Tresco, who is our secretary, is a man who runs our schedule. And that's a daunting task. Uh, We have... Uh, John Griffith, who is another mainstay organizer in our league, he runs the uh, Brighton Sox, um, is uh, is the man who does a lot of the uh, paperwork with our eligibility, our internet, and all that type of stuff. And then we have a young fellow by the name of Angelo Colucci, who uh, runs the Stoneham team. You've met him. Uh, he's kind of a member at large and does a lot of Maverick stuff for us. Uh, just a great group of people and the other franchise holders that we have are just spectacular people. Um, our oldest franchise, the Brighton Braves, run by Teddy Tracy, uh, still involved in the program after all these years. They were here when I came in uh, 1984. I think they were here in the 1970s. So that shows how long they've been around. Dave, so uh, suppose a player has interest in the Yawkey League and they want to pursue uh, the opportunity to play Yawkey League baseball. Where where do they get started? How do they get involved? Log on to the internet. Go to www.yawkeybaseball.com and there is a section where you can sign up. It's called Player Interest. You just click on that. You fill out a form and that form goes to all of the managers of all of the Yankee League teams, and each one gets an opportunity to pick and choose who they want on their on their team. Great, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about umpires, Dave. Uh, how do you reach out and recruit umpires, and how do they get involved in your league? We've utilized what used to be called the South Shore Umpires Association as our assigner, and uh, that uh, now run by 
Walter Benson, who's the guru of umpires here in Eastern Massachusetts, uh, quite a professional when it comes to that. Uh, Walter does a great job. He assigns all of our officials, uh, make sure that every single one of them is at a game, on time, in uniform, and they have professional credentials um, that uh, really provide us with some solid officiating, which uh, we're very fortunate to have. And, uh, you know, Dave, there's, you, you mentioned there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, there's uh, lighting, lighting in the Boston parks and permits, you know, things like that. Uh, we've done games together, Dave, where the lights have gone out. You know, when, the, when, when it's time for the lights to go out, they go out. And, and we've had some suspended games in the past. But, uh, you know, how does that work with, uh, you know, securing permits and, uh, and uh, dealing with the lighting? Each individual uh, uh, permit in the city of Boston, the Boston-based teams, like the teams that are at McConnell Park, Ely Field, uh, Rogers Park, um, Ronan Park, um, we obtain through the city of Boston permit division. And this is the time frame that Dave Prescott is working with the city to secure permits for all of our fields. We pay a fee uh, for nighttime games. Daytime games, they provide us free uh, access. Uh, but we try to stay away from weekend games as best as possible in Boston and utilize the lights. Now, as I say, the light um, system is old, and um, we're getting new fields built and uh, renovations being made. Ronan Park, there's no lights up there at all. They took them all down, so... That has got to be reconstructed, and I'm hoping that that's done before May 15th. I don't think it will be, so we're going to have to be looking for permits at another field for nighttime games up there. We also had a gigantic sinkhole that made the news up there, and uh, I was thankful that I wasn't walking on the field and got blamed for making that sinkhole up there. <laughs> well, they said it was something to do with an old farm that... Uh, was based and, uh, in that area, and it was an, uh, like an artesian well, and uh, the thing sucked down about 50 feet. Thank God there were no kids in the area playing games up there. But uh, those are where the permits come from in the city, and then outside we have fields uh, where we obtain permits through the local cities and towns. Great stuff, Dave. And, uh, you know, I got I to gotta ask you, you know, McConnell Park runs right concurrent with the Southeast Expressway. Have any balls been hit uh, on the 93 in your history? In the, in the old day, old days, there was a player, Greg Griffin, um, Brian Griffin, excuse me, Greg was his brother from South Boston, who played for me. He also played for the South Boston Nage team. We, we used aluminum bats in the old days. And during those times, yes, many balls were hit onto the expressway and uh, caused havoc uh, with the traffic that was uh, running northbound on the uh, on the expressway. Um, not not too many have hit out of the ballpark uh, onto the expressway since then. It's about 385 uh, to uh, uh, left field and about 420 or 430 to deep center field which goes into another uh, baseball diamond, a uh, softball diamond. 
Yeah, you know, that reminds me, because when I was doing the North Shore Spirit Games, we'd go out to Worcester, and we, we used to play on the campus of Holy Cross, and I-290 runs right outside the ballpark, and I would see some guys during batting practice hit some balls up on 290, and I got to think that there were some shattered windows and uh, whatnot, people driving by, so that's kind of a unique thing. No doubt, no doubt at all, and that's part of the adventure of playing amateur baseball because uh, and some of our fields are, are not fenced either. I mean, we, we've got the, we call the uh, Clifford Park, the Prairie, if you, uh, if you know what that is, uh, right across from 1010 Mass Avenue. And it was called the Prairie for a reason because there's no fences. You hit a ball down there past the outfielder, caddy by the door. You're going around the bases, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, for the most part now, because of collegiate restrictions and so forth, uh, fields that are being renovated and rebuilt have fences. Well, Dave, um, I also am aware that uh, you have had a relationship uh, playing some games against the military. Uh, maybe you could fill us in on that history a little bit. <laughs> what a sad thing that that has ended. The United States Military All-Stars came to us, oh, I believe it was 1996, 97, and they asked if they um, could come and visit us once a year and uh, hold a game. And I never thought that this was going to be anything of any spec spectacle or any uh, kind of uh, greatness. And then once I looked into the program, they, these guys played some pretty – solid uh, organizations and they also played professional teams in uh, spring training so we hopped right on it and every year for about 11 years um, we had an all-star game with them and we hosted them and uh, what, a, what a great event that was the, the ceremony before and during the organized uh, game uh, we tried to play nine innings of baseball and our All-Stars would play this. Now, these were active-duty um, ball players. These guys were all in active service. And uh, they, they, they were taking leave from their active duty to play baseball. And it was a barnstorming team that went around. And then they had, had established themselves up in Nashville, New Hampshire. And uh, they, they, they stayed up there for a year, I believe and uh, served as a minor league team, as a single-A minor league team. And uh, they, they made a great connection with the Latino community and had a team based in uh, Nashville. And unfortunately, that fell through. But uh, due to some, some sadness, uh, uh, some illness, and uh, a couple of the organizers had passed away, uh, that team no longer exists, which is kind of sad. Yes, indeed. We're talking with Dave McKay, longtime president of the Yawkey League of Greater Boston, Boston's premier amateur baseball league, a wooden bat baseball league. And uh, Dave, you know, last year was uh, very unique in terms of how we went about uh, our business in the world and in sports. COVID-19 uh, came to us, uh, certainly not wanted. Uh, I'm wondering how uh, COVID-19 affected the Yawkey Baseball League last year. I know you had some restrictions put in place that are on the website, but talk about that experience from your perspective. Uh, COVID caused a touch-and-go spring, uh, touch-and-go early summer for the Yawkey League. Remember, we didn't get to start uh, until quite late. 
We played a 14-game regular season, and every team made the playoffs. So each team was guaranteed 15 games, and that's half of what we normally had uh, in our regular season. Um, each player had to wear a mask from the bench. Each player, when they were on deck, had to wear a mask. Social distancing was required. We had to set up a whole list of COVID regulations that each team signed off on and pledged to support. Fans were not, if you remember, John, fans were not permitted at the ballparks for quite some time until the playoffs when um, the, the fans were allowed back into the ballparks in, in small numbers. Um, and it was difficult for us because we thought we were going to lose the season. Um, but fortunately, because of the vigor and because of the hard work of our board of directors, as I stated earlier, we bound together as a unit and had a season and a tremendous playoffs um, where the East Boston team uh, fulfilled their dream of winning a championship in the league and beat Charlestown in a seven-game series. Um, so in all, at the end, when all was said and done, it turned out to be a pretty darn good season. But the challenges of running a team and a league during COVID was very difficult. But we got through it without anybody getting sick, uh, which was spectacular. And uh, everybody was safe at the end. Absolutely. And you just reminded me that uh, I need to update your Wikipedia page. I don't think we have last year's champions in there. So I'll have to do that at the end of our, uh, our session here. Thank uh, you, sir. You do, you do that very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just just a way to, to stay connected. Um, so uh, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, the Hockey League Baseball Hall of Fame. You also have some awards that you give out. But uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the Hall of Fame and how that got started. Okay, we, we started a Hall of Fame basically because our alumni was so strong. I mean, we had uh, roots back to the 1960s as what was called the, uh, the City League, and then we changed to the um, Junior Park League, and then, of course, in 1990 became the Hockey League, and we figured we'd honor some of our pl past uh, heroes um, and enshrine them in a Hall of Fame. And the process is pretty simple. If the manager or the franchise, current franchise holder nominates an individual, we trust them. And as long as they've had a clean life, um, we'll put them in the Hall of Fame. And uh, it's quite an honor. They surprised me at a banquet, uh, had no clue that this was happening. In fact, I saw my brothers were at the event, and I said to them, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> they said, oh, we're just here. We were invited. And I, they covered the whole thing up, and they inducted me by surprise, which was kind of a shock and a thrill. Yeah, I was, but, there, uh, I was there that night, and that, that was I, a wonderful experience. Yeah, and I remember that quite well. And uh, I'm, in, I'm in two Hall of Fames, and damn it, I, I never played much baseball in my life. I'm in the National Amateur Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame, uh, and, and that's an honor. It, it's great to be honored like that. I, I've been coaching for 54 years in 2021. I started when I was 15 years old. Uh, I know I'm going a little off the track, but this is the story of a guy who's in the Hall of Fame. 
uh, and didn't play much. Uh, I, I started out as a scorekeeper for my brother's baseball team run by Al Allen, the great Al Allen, who was a millstream guy and taught me so much about baseball. His son and I were classmates at Columbus High School. We grew up together and became very, very good friends. And Mr. Allen said, hey, you're always standing around. Come over here and do something. He gave me the school book and taught me how to keep score. Yep. And um, like I said, I wasn't much of a player, a big kid. Uh, you know, I, I caught. They, they put me behind the plate because I was a two-tonner, you know. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 having that opportunity and then – I was uh, I was 15, as I said. Within four years, I was running the league. So uh, that uh, the the energy that he engendered in me and the interest that I had in community service, based upon my parents' involvement in local um, activities, uh, really got me going. And then it kind of vaulted me into other things: politics, uh, two-time city council candidate, uh, unsuccessful, and then working for the city of Boston after a 14-year teaching career, working for the last three mayors of the city of Boston, Mayor Flynn, Mayor Menino, and Mayor Walsh. Uh, I finished my 29-year career with the city. So uh, to be in a Hall of Fame is to be recognized and honored, and that's something that speaks a lot about my life and about where I've been. And I know that every guy that's in the Yankee League Hall of Fame has that same feeling. Yeah, and uh, I should also mention you were the overnight mayor for the city of Boston for many years, so you had a lot of responsibility with the city. It was kind of an interesting life. Uh, I think it almost shot in my life a little bit, going to work at 11 o'clock at night and coming home at 7 o'clock in the morning. And the lifestyle that I lived for a good long time kind of put me back a little bit so i've calmed down a lot my life has changed quite a bit especially <laughs> in the last in the last 14 months uh, uh I, I i i used to love my uh my stops at uh, the bars for an amber colored beverage and last uh, march 26 was the last time i really enjoyed that and uh covid kind of did me a favor it, it got me to calm down my, my drinking habits. But, uh, but uh, yes, uh, it, 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 this involvement, this life that you and I live, and I know how dedicated you are to the hockey team that you call play-by-play -play on a regular basis, the dedication you have to Merrimack, and the dedication you've had to the amateur teams that that uh, that you've done, and I'm sorry, the professional teams that you've done in the amateur teams is just so spectacular and special. And your wife is so much a supporter of that. I don't know. I don't know if you could never have been successful without the uh, the support of your wonderful wife. Absolutely, Dave. I'm I'm not where I am today without her. That's for sure. And I appreciate the kind words. Um, He's a gem. God bless her. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I also want to make the point that uh, a lot of your players have gone on uh, to play professionally, right? So the Hockey League is quite the springboard for people who want to further their careers beyond the Hockey League, isn't it? Yeah, we have two special guys in recent years. These names will resonate with people who know local sports and local amateur and professional sports. Rich Hill. Yeah. who played for the Al Thomas Club under the direction of Joe O'Hara, um, 
played for the Boston Red Sox, the Dodgers. He pitched probably one of the best uh, game in the World Series that I've ever seen. And then Dave Roberts took him out too early, and everything was history after that because if they left Hill in that game, Hill was going to win, and the Dodgers might have had a chance to beat the Red Sox. And he's in our Hall of Fame. I never saw anybody more emotional than Richie Hill when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. We had a great connection with Al Thomas, him and his family, his father and his brothers. His brothers could have played and should have played professional baseball in an era where there was a big glut in numbers and so forth. Uh, they were, And also they grew up in, in Boston. Boston's a tough place to hook on to uh, uh, the pro- professionals. And uh, both of Rick's brothers were great, great uh, athletes and great baseball players. Uh, but I've never seen anybody more emotional than Richie was the night that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then we had Manny Del Carmen, a local guy who played in West Roxbury High School, played in the South End uh, uh, baseball program uh, for um, uh, great organizers down in Lower Roxbury. Uh, he is in our Hall of Fame, and he played for the Red Sox and for several other teams um, in uh, professional uh, uh, baseball. So we have two guys that we hold high in our uh, standard. Well, Dave, uh, you know, anybody who knows you knows how much you love baseball and how much you love the Red Sox. Uh, spring training is underway. I, I just thought I'd uh, check in with you and uh, get your thoughts on this Red Sox team uh, coming up for the 2021 season. Uh, what are you looking for? What do you expect? I'm going to be Dick Williams in 2021. I think the Red Sox will win more games than they lose. They'll compete, but I don't think they have the pitching to compete for the playoffs. Uh, what they have on paper right now is a hodgepodge of uh, pitching uh, that doesn't say much to me. Without Chris Sale, without Erod, without, um, you know, Evaldi, without a lot of those names that helped them win the 2018 championship, uh, I don't see the Red Sox going past 500 unless and until they improve their pitching staff. Uh, somebody has got to step up. You can't run the team the way they ran it last year. Um, losing players like Jackie Bradley Jr.'s glove in center field um, and also the two gloves to his right and to his left, that whole outfield from 2018 is gone. So this, uh, this new outfield and new regime that they're bringing in, there's a lot of names that I really can't pronounce, and I'll learn them fast enough. Um, I, I, think that, I think that Xander Bogarts obviously has to become a leader verbally, physically, spiritually on the team. Uh, Devers is a hell of a player. He, he, he has a lot of tools that um, he's developed. Uh, he's become a better baseball player of field. What a heck of a header he is. Um, I, I, I don't see anybody really being a superstar on this ball club. But you don't need superstars to have a winning team. You just need to have a composite group of 25 players that can put it all together. I don't see that happening in 2021. So is this a bridge year? 
in my head it is. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the outfield. I, I can't uh, help thinking about Andrew Benintendi, who was just traded to Kansas City, and uh, I had the opportunity to call his first professional game with the Lowell Spinners. So, yeah. uh, you know, you and I have that in common. We get to see these guys before they kind of blossom and move on to a more professional, well, a professional uh, level. And, uh, you know, that that's the neat thing about what we do, isn't it? It certainly is, because uh, that's why I always went to spring training. I started going to spring training when the Red Sox were in Winter Haven. My aunt and uncle had a uh, place down in uh, Daytona, which was probably about an hour and a half from uh, Winter Haven. And then, of course, I always loved Disney and uh, uh, SeaWorld and Universal. We'd go there and then go to the ball games. There were a ton of uh, teams in Central uh, Florida, and um, I, I I I went there, but then really fell in love with Fort Myers. Uh, I used to rent a house from March first until the third of April every year for fifteen years. I did that. I saved all my vacation time and would travel all over the place uh, myself and other companions that. Uh, had the time and the energy and the finances to do stuff like that. But we saw all the youngsters, all the kids. I'll never forget when I saw Miguel Cabrera for the first time at um, uh, at Detroit's Tiger Town. Uh, big, tall, strapping kid at third base. He came over and he saw the Red Sox cap and he said, I like that. Someday I'll play for you. And he never did, Damon. But what a great player he was. And I saw him on his first day and followed his career uh, right straight through to to, to a almost Hall of Fame uh, um, career. Guys, uh, Tim Nering was another one. We had dinner with him one night. We bumped into him and his family, and they noticed that we were Red Sox fans, and his father invited us over for a drink. And... uh, we were talking to Tim, and I became friends with him throughout his Red Sox years. Uh, bump into him outside the clubhouse and go down to the baseball tavern and have a beer afterwards. And people, too, John, you know that. You yeah. with them. You, you live with them, and uh, it, it, it's just a great connection. Absolutely, Dave. Well, listen, before we let you go, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I think I should apply for the uh, Dorchester Brotherhood here because you I've worked with a couple of friends of yours, uh, Mark Denny, of course, who uh, coached the Merrimack Hockey Club, and I also work with Bob Gallagher. I know he's a guy that you know when I was in mental health. So uh, you Dorchester guys are good people. Mark Dennehy played baseball, him and his brother, for me when they were babies, when they were nine years old. They played in the Millstream baseball program, but they were always hockey kids. Yeah, their parents kept them involved with hockey. That baseball was the second sport. But what a great career he's had! And uh, and 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 now 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 Michael was involved in government. He was a public works commissioner uh, for the city of Boston. He went from the trash department all the way to the top of the heap. <laughs> we have, we've got some. We've got. got imagine that. From the trash guy all the way to the top of the <laughs> but I, I, it, We have some good people in, in good old Dorchester. And, and yeah, you're, you're a part of our family, John. You've always been a grade-A number one supporter of amateur baseball, number one, but of the Yorkie Baseball League and of me. You helped make me a better announcer and a better TV personality 
I was nothing until I bumped into you. You know, I, I emulate a lot of the stuff that you do and say. Um, I was petrified of doing those games live and uh, being in front of a camera live because I don't look like a TV personality. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a radio personality. <laughs> so I'm afraid of doing Zoom calls because you can see my face. Um, and plus, I'm 68 years old. I was a lot younger than but uh, I'm going off on a tangent here. But I do want to make sure that you know how much we appreciate you and your dedication to our program. Thank you, Dave. Well, I want to thank you for spending some time with us uh, today. I know our listeners are really going to uh, enjoy the content. Uh, YockeyBaseball.com, that is the website if you'd like to learn more about Yockey League Baseball. And if you're in the Boston area this summer, there are uh, a wide variety of fields you can uh, check out uh, some great amateur baseball and uh, check out uh, the Yockey League, which has been a, a a great, great thing for the city of Boston since 1990. Dave, thanks so much for being with us. I truly appreciate it, and I look forward uh, to talking with you down the road, my friend. It's a distinct honor and a privilege, and I thank you. All the best to you and your wife, and I hope that things roll along positively for you and your professional career. I appreciate that. He is Dave McKay, president of the Yockey League of Boston, and uh, check him out this summer. We invite you to join us next week. We'll have another edition of the podcast. You have been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. Until we meet again, so long, everyone. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.